This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. The city of Chattanooga is getting ready to vote for a new mayor and city council. Early voting will begin February 10th and end on February 25th. The deadline to request an absentee ballot is February 23rd. Election day is March 2nd. Please visit the Hamilton County Election Commission website for more details. I'm here with Christopher Dahl. He is running for Chattanooga City Mayor. And Christopher, if you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and uh, your vision for, for the mayorship. Yeah, um, off and on, I moved here as a kid, a young kid, lived here most of my life. Um, went to a different school almost every year, even being homeschooled one year. Uh, you know, I've seen what, or I've been observing of what goes on here in the city and the county. And it's been concerning because uh, you see this, um, I would say, rut that we get stuck stuck in and we can't get out of it. Uh, you know, I've noticed this, this has been a reoccurring issue, even because I run a history site called Chattanooga Has History as well. And so, you know, I, I, I picked up the run because of, of the issue, those issues and seeing, you know, a lot of issues with discrimination in the city a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse of our tax dollars. I was just really concerned because, you know, I have a son as well, and I don't want him to have to go through these same exact problems or any of our future generation. You know, they shouldn't have to deal with these problems that we're seeing. They should have hardly any problems, if you ask me, if government was ran right, you know, but it seems like, uh, you know, we, we have a government here local that has a, a lot of management issues, mm -hmm. um, a lot of money that that's unaccounted, doesn't go uh, accounted for. Uh, we don't have audits that or budgeting that reflects audits or vice versa, you know? And so this is concerning because we don't, I mean, I don't know if you've followed the city council meetings, but we even have censorship there where they, you know, you can only speak twice in 30 days and then you you can you can't mention anybody's name, you can't be derogatory, and things like that. So we have a lot of censorship issues as well, and so that's why I picked up the run is is that way I can have my own voice back, not getting censored uh, like I've been through throughout the years when I'm addressing city council or county commission um, and requesting information. Uh, a lot of times when somebody does open records requests. Uh, it, it's like pulling teeth with the city <laughs> or even the county. The, uh, I don't know if you saw the article about the, the TFP put out about the county and the county attorney destroying records, but those records that he destroyed were open records requests that I had placed. And I think Times Free Press had placed a few as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's concerning when we have our own government that, you know, has, sees no, no problem with these issues. Uh, another thing that, that we have had in the past and still continue with is uh, police department policy issues. Uh, we see a lot of abuse in the department that can just be alleviated by uh, not only adopting new policy, like more of a uh, de-escalation policy, but also, uh, you know, just adhering to policy in general. You know, if we want our, if we want the citizens of the city to abide by as, as they say the law, then they need to set the, the good examples in that matter. And so, you know, these are these are some of the reasons why I'm running. I mean, there's there's a few other things like I, I believe the city could benefit by being uh, restructured. Uh, like, like, I don't know uh, if you're aware, but we have a lot of quasi judicial boards. And I think a lot of those boards could be turned into departments to be more accountable. And also, uh, they would have to, you know, answer to the com uh, council and commission a little bit more. And I think this, th this is, uh, you know, these type of things could make our government work a lot better. So I want to you address a couple different things that I want to dive into in a, a little bit more detail. The first is, like you said, just 
the voice of the citizens. Uh, something I run into a lot when I'm interacting with listeners is I hear that, you know, Chattanooga still has a reputation as a good old boys club where, you know, a lot of these decisions are being made on the golf course rather than in the city council chamber. So I'm wondering, you know, if you were elected mayor, what policies would you put in place to ensure that all citizens have an active voice in our government? Well, I've been looking into that. And, you know, we, we have the sunshine law that the city should be abiding by, but does not. Uh, I've filed several complaints about that issue. Uh, and the county can you, hasn't. Can you clarify issued. that for our listeners? Uh, it's the Open Meetings Act is what, what they call the sunshine law in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's basically they're not supposed to have any meetings behind closed doors, um, you know, and you're supposed to be able to see records of their meetings online uh, and accessible to the public, which a lot of times are not. Uh, you get, I mean, for a good example is the Election Commission. Uh, that their meetings on online cut their minutes, their minutes for their meetings cut out at a certain year, and they haven't updated it. You know, we have this problem across the board in the city as well. Um, I don't know if you you've ever looked over uh, the records for or the minutes for the city council meetings, but they they sort of ad lib what people have to say as well, so you don't get the true picture of what per, uh, somebody's trying to. Uh, addressed at the city council meeting either. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they're, say they're bringing up uh, fraud of, of tax dollars or abuse or or other issues, you know, those sort of get written off and, you know, you get the council to tell you, yeah, we'll deal with it, but never do. Um, one thing I'd like to do is, is uh, create an office of accountability that sort of uh, streamlines and works with the audit department to make sure they're doing their job correctly uh, make sure that policies followed across the board because what I've ran into as well is um, apparently nobody here can enforce policy, even though in my mind and sort of how business works, usually policy is invo- enforced by human resources, you know, and that gives you grounds to terminate somebody uh, if they're not following policy. So we need to reevaluate that as well. Um, also, this office would work to uh, make sure that the public has access to uh, being able to reach out to, to offices instead of just having to call 311 and, and make a complaint. Uh, a lot of times we run into uh, departments don't want to give out their numbers. Instead, they want to call you back. And when they call you back, it's from a restricted number mm-hmm. um, as well. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Robert's Rules of Order, but that's how uh, it's guidelines of how meetings are conducted. And according to our city charter and uh, a lot of state provisions, the mayor should be attending the uh, city council meetings as well. And then another thing that you touched on was the uh, the boards and commissions. And, and I touched briefly on this in one of my early episodes that kind of explains what the mayor does. Um, There's all these, just for our listeners' benefit, there's all these boards and commissions on various topics uh, that have kind of a review process for different permits. Uh, There's a sewer board, there's a public arts board, there's there's 30-something of them, and you can find that on the the city website, the full list. Um, You mentioned restructuring these, and that's something that the mayor can do in their first uh, 30 days in office is restructure the government, form new departments, uh, phase out old departments, and figure out how they want the government to be structured from an executive level. So you've already mentioned uh, an office of accountability. What what other ideas do you have for how to do that restructuring program? Um, another, well, there's, there's a couple of things like, uh, you know, we have a lot of issues in the Economic Community Development Center especially with the permitting process. And so I think the city needs to look at uh, policies to streamline that, um, look at maybe getting rid of some of these departments and merging them. Um, I mean, we have, I know at one time we had a department of multicultural affairs and they were sort of doing another uh, same job or, or on the same level as another department that Mayor Burke had created. Um, and then, on top of that, you know, he's 
our, our previous administration has created, you know, the Office of Resilience, the Office of Hate. We hear all these new offices and departments that have been created, but we don't see anything out of those. What I think that needs to happen is, is a lot of these departments maybe need to merge. Um, like I said, I want to take the boards and turn them into, you know, some of them I would think need to be into a commission style type board, sort of like CARTA and EPB uh and a few other boards like the parks and recs department so that way people can not only address it but they have to approach the city for funding and it, they they actually can then go and write their own grants or, or apply for them instead of having city employees do it in other departments as well mm -hmm. um i see you know i think that by alleviating a lot of the departments that we we've that has been created or, or a lot of these layers that we could make government more efficient. I think that's part of the problem that we have right now is there's just so many layers and uh, you know, none of them seem to be able to work together. Uh, you know, we consider ourselves the gig city, but if you look at the city's website, it sort of looks like a mid 1990s website, even with some of the um, technology that we have out here, you know, that's not being utilized. Like, you know, we have the innovative center that People go there and they they write programs and do other entrepreneurship uh, things that come out of that incubator, and I believe that the city can utilize that and you know have people write programs that we can use here local and that's investing in our local economy. One program that I would see is a is a real time budgeting type program where every meeting when money's spent that can actually go to real-time data and update so people can mm -hmm. see uh, where the money is being spent as well on real-time basis. Uh, maybe look into uh, revamping how 311 works. I know at one time before 311 was around uh, public works department, they operated in sectors. And so what they would do is one week, they would serve that one service, that one sector. And I think what they could do is incorporate the way they used to run things with the new technology. So that way we don't have 311 trucks going out in the same area every other day, uh, because that's a lot of gas costs that could be alleviated and other money spent. Um, you know, when, when, when the Parks and Recreation Department gets um, revamped, I think that then you could then uh, have the rec centers have small police precincts added to them so that way community groups who want to start neighborhood watches could do so with the help of our our police and actually you know uh go to citizens committees there and so forth and that would actually divest some of the money from the police department and put it in the recreation department i know there's already supposed to be programs there uh, where police uh mentor you through the rec departments but apparently that program has either vanished or nobody's been able to keep it up so we have a lot of issues with misspending because of these departments not being um, managed correctly and that's why i believe that you know a lot of them need to be just streamlined or turned in you know like a lot of these boards turned into departments and just right. get rid of them totally and that way they can operate within what I say the sunshine or, or the open meetings act that we can see what they're doing and we can stop having these meetings conducted behind closed doors because it, a lot of the times too you know it, it seems like a lot of those decisions are being made at those board meetings and then once once and then those or or actually at the chamber of commerce and then those ideas are then presented to our city council people for them to present it to the public <laughs> And then another area that the the mayor has a pretty high degree of control over, you know, we've talked about restructuring the government, um, but the mayor also leads the budget writing process. And part of that is uh, the community input process that the current administration has put in place, the budgeting for outcomes. Uh, what are your ideas, if you were elected mayor, to change the budgeting for outcomes, or, or would you change it? Um, how would you make Actually, sure that citizens are engaged in that process? I was going to say, actually, I'd look at revamping that. Uh, like I said, I want to update the city's website so that way more people can be involved in, in things as well. 
But I know that at the same time, we don't have people who have access to the internet, you know, and elderly people who have trouble working the internet and even some younger people or people are my generation, which is in their uh, late thirties, you know, because the computers were just coming out as we were leaving high school. Um, and so, you know, I think that uh, the city needs to um, look into making the budget more inclusive. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of inclusive participatory budgeting, uh, but that's a new method that a lot of cities have adopted now. I mean, that's what Chattanooga is sort of trying to adopt, but it's like they really don't want to go and have true input from the public. You still are, are only getting input from uh, what I call clicks, you know, and that concerns me. Another thing um, on that level, you know, I'd like to see at least 30 or 40 percent of taxes break broken down by neighborhoods and 30 or 40 percent of those taxes that are collected uh, stay in that area, you know, and the rest go to the general budget. That way, residents in that area can have meetings and, you know, you can put out flyers and so forth to reach everybody in that area and ask them, hey, where do you want your money to be spent? Do you want it allocated in streets? Do you want an art project in your area? You know, do you want uh, bike lanes, uh, a walking path, and so forth, and give let them sort of uh, steer the city on how to allocate that 30 to 40% as well. But that, that's, like I said, the budgeting, I think the budgeting process needs to be uh, looked over to where you're, you're sort of breaking down the taxes in real time data uh, on, on neighborhood size, downsizing it to that small micro level. And then that way you're, you're not only being able to see how much taxes you're getting from certain areas, but you're, you're being able to, to allocate them a lot better as well, you know, right. and then you can actually take in more input. Uh, one thing I'd, I'd like to also see is, is the rec centers working with EPB to broadcast the city council meetings through the rec centers and, uh -huh. and maybe even rotating the city council uh, meetings to some of these rec centers so more public can, can get to them as well. Because, you know, I mean, people in Hickson, it's hard for them to get right off of work and drive to the to the city council meeting or people in Lookout Valley. But we have rec centers in those areas that could be utilized. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting idea. I've never even thought of that before. I think um, some cities definitely. like uh, Tampa does stuff like that. They use mm -hmm. the public television service and they, they broadcast through rec centers. I think other cities do as well. You know, and it's like, this the Chattanooga wants to pride itself on being the gig city and have brought you know this fastest internet and so forth. So let's let's capitalize on that and let's utilize that aspect and say, look, well our our city government uses it to make it more efficient and right. and, and more you know more inclusive for everybody. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, then that can be a, a marketing aspect for people who want to move to the city saying, look, not only do we have the fastest internet, but we have a, inter uh, we have a city government that utilizes their own internet that they put together for the, the betterment of the people. Right. Uh, one other thing, and you, you mentioned this uh, while you were talking about combining kind of police precincts and the community centers. Um, a lot of people, you know, we've been talking about the budget, a lot of citizens, first real time where they felt involved in the budgeting process was this summer when we had the Black Lives Matter protests happening and we had the budget hearing to approve this year's budget. And we had 200 people sign up to talk at a city council meeting to express their opinion on the fact that $70 million out of our $240 million budget was going to the police department. Um, and you know, I've been prefacing this a lot of times saying there's there's a lot of different ideas on, on how to improve our police department and how to allocate funds properly to our police department. And they're all kind of in conflict with one another. You brought up divest and reinvest. I was hoping you could talk more about that and also kind of your broader vision for the police department to make sure that all Chattanoogans feel safe. 
Yeah. Um, well, the one one thing I you know I mentioned was divesting from the police department and making small precincts. Um, and the, the reason for that is is it's a cost reason as well. You know, it, it would alleviate a lot of gas costs there. Um, it would actually put the police more in touch with the community that it serves or the officers who serve that community to be more in touch with the people. Um, I know I looked over the budget myself when it came to the police department. And I think a lot of the money goes to pensions as well. You know, that's a large cost of the budget. Um, a lot of the a lot of that needs to be reevaluated uh, re because when you're having a large portion of your budget going to pensions, uh, there's an issue because um, from my research and understanding, um, a good brand municipality who, you know, because uh, in a pension you're you're you know, you're putting in what uh, the other people are putting in as well, you're matching it. And so, and opposed to a 401k plan where they're just all putting in all the funds. Um, it concerns me because the city should only be allocating about three to 4% of a match on, on that. So I, I believe they're doing a greater percentage of matching uh, or that we have a, a larger percentage of, of pensions out than what they're telling the public. I know at one time they were sued to uh, be forced to pay certain officers their pensions that they they had paid in and they actually had to sue the city for that and so that's concerning as well because you know those lawsuits cost us money and attorney fees and so forth that could be uh, alleviated too um, i think if we went back to a smaller community type setup that uh, it would alleviate a lot of cost across the board not only with gas but um you know with with having to maintain such a large department, um, then I believe that you could sell off some of the property around the, the department that we have and look at downsizing the Amicola uh, area. I know the, the, for example, you know, the call center is actually uh, outsourced as well. Um, and the, I believe the city maybe pays for that service. So we need to look at reevaluating a lot of things that we're doing through the police department. There's a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, it was brought up to my understanding just recently that the police department leases cars from the city of Chattanooga. And, and I'm trying to uh, obtain that lease agreement right now uh, to no avail. Uh, I was told that they were getting the records and that was over a month ago and have not heard anything since. Um, so that concerns me as well, because, you know, how, how does the city charge itself uh, a fee to lease cars? And then where's that money going? Is, is it being uh, reallocated in the department or is it being uh, spent somewhere else? Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I believe, too, that this the city, instead of hiring, I, I know they, they have a lot of open positions right now for officers and I know we have a lot of people who are asking for social workers, and I believe that instead of hiring maybe two or three officers that we could hire a social worker and, and create a social worker uh, task force that's trained to address um, some of your domestic issues and, and, you know, maybe even when you have situations where somebody's held up in a store or something like that. Uh, they can do the hostage type situation talk downs as well, or and, you know, and and even the police uh, need support from time to time or somebody to talk to. So that would give them that outlet as well. You know, I mean, it, a statistic that a lot of people don't talk to about is the high statistic rate of suicides in police officers, and I don't want that to happen here in the city or have our, our police department so demoralized that they don't want to serve the community. And instead they, they, you know, because when somebody's demoralized like that, you tend to just give up. And then so, so you don't want to follow policy. You don't really want to uh, address the true issues that are going on and you, you'll just overlook a lot of stuff. So we need to maybe invest morally more in the department mm -hmm. and divest some of the money out of it into other things.
I don't, and I don't, when I say divest, I don't mean defund. I just mean you know, right. taking that money and reallocating it into, like I said, small precincts and the police and, and the rec centers, which would allow the rec centers then to have a little bit more funding to offer more uh, programs, sort of like the YMCA. Uh, you know, I don't understand why our city rec centers don't function like the YMCA and offer programs not just for kids, but for adults as well. You know, maybe have a, a little workout area, uh, have yoga classes, have, um, you know, we hear a lot of about the Head Start for the city or the, the Head Start program that the city has and all it seems to be is a referral program to refer people to the county. Well, I think that maybe then what we could do is look at maybe leasing out a room to a daycare facility at a lower cost to work out of the rec center. So that way uh, the community would have a, 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 we would know that it, the community has a preschool or like a daycare center type setup in the rec center. You know, I like the, I would think that we should have programs like that, mm -hmm. you know, more like a YMCA based rec center. That's not only just for, sports but multimedia as well mm -hmm. so i'll move on and talk about um covid and you know it's really impacted the city in the past few months and things are starting to improve the vaccine is rolling out but there's still kind of a looming economic crisis on the other side of this with small businesses struggling uh, people struggling to make their rent or losing their jobs and so i'm wondering what do you think you know as mayor what would you do to kind of get us through the other side of the economic impacts of COVID? Well, first off, as mayor, I wouldn't uh, impose any guidelines. I would just request that businesses follow what OSHA has put out, which is what the CDC has put out. Um, and then, you know, as the, as the city, because there is, it is OSHA guidelines now, the city could set the good example and follow those for other businesses. But, um, you know, I think that the way that the both mayors handled this issue is stifled businesses a lot. Um, on top of that, right before COVID hit, uh, we had a business improvement district created, which created an additional fee on, a, on a select businesses downtown and in a select area as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they put more of a strain on some of these businesses. And and then you know didn't have any plans to back that strain up uh you know now now they want to after the fact go and create uh you know put money out aside for uh small business grants and so forth to help uh, some of these businesses stay afloat but i think in the future the city could maybe look at getting rid of the business improvement district because it's a it's basically double billing these uh, businesses for the same service provided that should be provided but through public works. Um, also, the city can look at strengthening its public works department and start hiring more people and, and stop outsourcing, which would create more jobs here local. And we could see where our money is going. So that would help spur the economy as well. Um, and then we can look at uh, doing other other economic spurs sort of like um, i don't know if you're familiar with the term gift economy mm -hmm. but the city could create a gift economy or, or support that uh you know they already are sort of doing it by creating micro grants and so i think that they could strengthen that and sort of build upon that as well um, we can look at you know more ideas outside the box like a gift economy um, looking to booster entrepreneurship, which they've sort of done through the Edney building and the incubator uh, setup that they have. But I think that, you know, we need to look at making sure that when we're doing these things that they're inclusive, they're not violating uh, Title VI policies, which is discrimination policies as well, that it's including everybody, not just uh, Caucasians or African Americans, but Hispanics and Asians and Indians as well. I mean, we have a we have a diverse population here of of South Americans, um, and people don't realize. I mean, uh, for example, um, I think it's Eastridge Elementary. They teach 
many different languages because of the, the heavy Hispanic population. And people, I don't, I don't think people realize how diverse their culture actually is as well. So we have to look at making sure we're including everybody in, in the decisions that we are making to pull us out of, uh, you know, COVID. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't infringe on people's civil liberties. I believe that we have enough government trying to tell us what to do all the time to where, you know, I believe that people can choose to do the right, make the right decisions themselves in this matter and, you know, protect others if they choose to do so. But we shouldn't look at making fines or, or imposing fines or looking to have the police sort of police people with masks or create a mask police department. That that doesn't make any sense. That to me was just be another, what I call racket for revenue or way the city would generate revenue that's not even called for and could possibly get them locked into a, a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So I'll move on and talk about development a little bit. And I know we've touched on a few of these things, but uh, you know, land development is a big part of what the city regulates. Some people are worried that we're not being stringent enough with a lot of our requirements around things like water quality, traffic generation, stormwater, and um, you know, sensitive landscapes like steep slopes. And then others are worried that you know we have too much regulation already, and that it's it's hurting the economy and keeping our building rates low and our, our housing prices higher than they need to be. So, what would your direction be as mayor in terms of guiding uh, city development principles? Well, for for one, I would look at um, revamping the regional planning agency and commission. Uh, right now, the agency doesn't even abide by their uh, policy. They don't abide by their uh, standards they put in place for themselves either. Um, we have a regional planning commission that is ran by developers who tend to vote for their own self-interest without uh, having any recourse. And then the city is locked into an EPA consent decree that deals with our uh, sewage issues that we have mm -hmm. and our sewage overflows which they have uh, ignored, not only on the development side through the commission, but the city has ignored in general with allowing these developments to be approved in areas of uh, chronic overflows. So we need to look at um, making sure that we enforce those. Uh, we also pay a stormwater fee, you know, and a lot of times I always joke about how the city will call it a fee, but it's actually a fee disguised as a tax. Um, but we don't see anything come out of that fee. You know, to my um, knowledge, it's supposed to go towards maintenance. But if you look at the storm grates anywhere on any street, you know, there are a lot of times they're clogged. Some of them have trees growing out of them, uh, a layer of dirt. Uh, the lining inside them has been washed away because the, you're not supposed to see the bricks. They're supposed to be uh, uh, have a concrete lining inside those as well. So they're not even being engineered correctly. And so we need to uh, really evaluate what's going on in our public works department when it comes to uh, stormwater and sewage issues. Um, you know, with the development aspect, I see problems in the perming, permitting process. It takes too long or a lot of times, uh, you know, you don't get no response back hardly. Uh, it's a really standoffish type process. They don't really accept cash anymore either. Um, so you don't have that option. And I think that, that the city should look at streamlining the permitting process, sort of adopting what Texas has done. If they don't get a response in a certain amount of time, then the permit gets approved and so forth. Um, that still doesn't mean that the plant site plans get approved. I mean, those would still have to go through the RPA. Um, but I think that the RPA needs to re get reevaluated and, and actually hold up higher standards. When it comes to the city and like stormwater runoff or steep slope development, I actually champion for the city to adopt uh, the stringent guidelines that the EPA has put out pertaining to both floodplain development and steep slope development. And um, their guidelines are based off of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania where it protects 
any slopes that have a 30% grade or higher. Um, here in the city, they chose not to adopt that. Instead, they said, well, we're gonna allow development to happen on any slopes that, that's uh, under 20%. So they, they rolled that, the percentage back to 20% instead of 30%, which I don't know if uh, you've noticed, but I'm pretty sure others have, that that has caused now erosion problems all around the city and even in parts of Red Bank. Um, a lot of people don't realize the regional planning agency is a joint quasi-judicial board with the city and county, but they oversee all the municipalities, all the development that goes on in the municipalities, other municipalities that are in Hamilton County as well, <laughs> and, and along with un, unincorporated. So I think they need to be put in check and for the city to allow them to approve developments that violate the EPA consent decree or put us in li li liability is sort of ridiculous because that's sort of saying that we're going to put the cost onto the taxpayer instead of having the developer who should be dealing with these issues if they really want to develop out that partial to deal with them. Um, and then a lot of times uh, we have, a, I think we have issues with the developer putting in um, the infrastructure like sewer and that, but there's no type of inspection to make sure it was put in correctly. And so what happens is after the development is developed and they start selling off the houses, they turn the street over back over to the city. And so the city assumes that responsibility. And so maybe five or 10 years down the road, the pipes tend to settle and you start having dips in the middle of the road. And you know that changes the pitch and a lot of these sewers work off of gravity feed. And so then, you know, the city only wants to put a Band-Aid fix by relining them. And in reality, a lot of these pipes need to be completely tore up and redone. Um, now to touch on the roads, you know, the road infrastructure, you know, we have roads that don't even meet federal guidelines uh, for road size for even allowing trucks to drive down, down those. Um, and so that's concerning as well, because, you know, in order for a city to have a municipality status, not only does it need to meet federal standards and federal guidelines, but it needs to meet state guidelines and state standards, as well as our city charter. And we, we've failed to do all of that. You know, we can't even maintain the EPA consent decree. And if we don't meet those benchmarks, then we're going to end up getting hit with fines daily until we do. Yeah. I want to drill down into transportation a little bit more. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations right now around the uh, bike lanes being put in. Some people are really happy about them. Some people think they're a waste of space or a waste of money. Uh, you know, sidewalks are another big issue. There are a lot of parts of town that just don't have sidewalks or the sidewalks are incomplete. Um, and then also our public transportation issues. I know you've mentioned Carter a couple of times. Um, so I'm just wondering, what is your direction on transportation? Uh, you know, this is a broad topic, so I'll kind of let you take it where you will. Well, uh, to my understanding, you know, the Public Works Department, uh, they used to do a lot of the, the repaving. And so when Mayor Burt got into office, he created CDOT to handle some of that repaving issues with the street or transportation issues. And I think they, they have a sign department through CDOT as well. And they deal with, you know, the stoplights and, and so forth. And I think what, what's happened there is we've had management issues. Um, it, it seems like they're not doing their job correctly. Um, I think that's what created some of this paving downfall. Um, and then, you know, with CARTA, you know, to me, it's, it, it's hard to offer um, bus services everywhere too. When you have developments being put in that are is not taking into consideration future bus routes you know so i think that um that's one of the things the regional planning agency should look into when they're making the decision about uh approving developments is saying well it would it be able to have a um, bus route included in the future if needed um you know and that would alleviate some of that issue um carta you know, is a self-governing type board that's set up there. And I think that they need to go through a, a revamping. I know they're doing a, a study right now to look at providing more service. And we've had people, you know, say that um, they're gonna offer 
uh, free bus buses service to more people. And, you know, the Carter already offers some of that, those, those services. I mean, if you need a ride to the doctor, they have the caravan. Um, if you're indigent, you can get a bus, you can, you can file for a bus pass as well. Um, and I think they, they offer bus passes to some of the homeless people too. And then we have the electric shuttle bus that, that was created. Um, I think that in order to promote some of that public transportation, what Carter should do is um, the parking garage they own, maybe offer free parking if you visit downtown businesses and then allow, and then have shuttles there to shuttle people around. Um, I think that's what the purpose of the electric bus was originally for. Um, with the bike lanes, I think some of that could have, some of that uh, concept could have been um, redone differently. You know, I think that instead of putting bike lanes down streets, they could have looked at putting bike paths through neighborhoods, connecting neighborhoods all together. And that way, not, not only would it be safer for the bicyclist to ride down a path that cuts through the neighborhood, but also uh, alleviate some of the traffic issues that have been created by putting in the bike lanes. I know that uh, some of those bike lanes like on Broad Street were tied with grant funding. So they had to do, they, you know, if you don't spend the money, they, they say you lose it or, they have, or they're supposed to give it back. A lot of times we, we see the city does not do that. They'll spend the money somewhere else. And then when, when the project gets questioned, they'll start allocating funds to, to do that project that they were supposed to already have funded. <clears throat> but I think that like with the river walk, you know, concept or the bike path concept, they could have even went with a cheaper median uh, that wasn't uh, cost as much to upkeep. Um, a lot of people don't realize just with the river walk alone is a lot of upkeep to replace sections of that cement. Uh, it's cost us, you know, millions of dollars in the past. And so I think that the city needs to look at reevaluating how it's putting in the bike lanes and sort of uh, go to a, a bike path initiative that cuts through neighborhoods and even maybe cut connects, you know, all the way to the battlefield. You know, so say you live in, in my area, which is Highland Park, um, you know, you have a bike path that cuts through. We have a, a street called Anderson that could be even if they downsized it and put a, a path down the middle or on one of the sides and turned it into a greenway that you would still have enough adequate size for road sizing. And then you could connect that to Missionary Ridge and so forth and, and, and keep on continuing it. And, and the, not making it out of concrete, but using maybe crushed limestone or a softer media that's easier to, to jog on as well. Um, a lot of people don't realize uh, the toll it takes on jogging on a hard surface compared to a softer surface too. Um, we have to take a lot of these things into consideration. I don't think that a lot of these things are, are taken into consideration when the decisions are being made. Um, and, you know, we need to look at making sure we're doing stuff in a more cost-effective manner as well. Mm -hmm. And even questioning things that seem to have a high cost. Because if they have a, a high cost, a lot of times is that we're not getting the best deal or the best bang for our buck mm -hmm. or no return on our investment. So I want to talk about, we've already talked a little bit about development and transportation more generally. I want to drill down into gentrification and affordable housing. Uh, Chattanooga has seen an influx of a lot of out-of-state investors buying up property, raising rates. Um, you know, much of the new housing being built is unaffordable to most Chattanoogans. And then, you know, demand for public housing and Section 8 vouchers is far exceeding the supply that we have. So, you know, what would your administration do to increase housing affordability and ensure that long-term Chattanooga residents feel comfortable and safe and, you know, secure in, in their living situation? Well, the first thing I would do is look at um, restructuring the Chattanooga Housing Authority. Um, right now, it seems like they're price setting the market for what is affordable housing, setting it at 30% of one's income. Um, we need to reevaluate that as well, um, because when you're, when you're setting that standard, you know, somebody say if they're living in, in what we call the projects, 
and um, which I call the, you know, one of the housing authorities units because um, they own apartments too. But if you're living in one of those units um, and you want to move out of there and you get a new job, well, now you're getting paid more and they still base your, your rent on that 30%, then now you're having to pay more in rent instead of being able to save that extra income to move out of that, that area. Um, also, we have had a housing stock that's never been uh, invested in. I mean, that's why the projects are falling apart in the first place. Uh, they've never had any reinvestment. Um, we've had properties sold off that could have been uh, turned into uh, more affordable housing, but instead we've sold those off and then get funds to organizations like the Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise to produce affordable housing, which in reality, that has actually made the problem worse. Um, it hasn't aided to affordable housing at all. Also, um, a lot of times too, when deals are made with the city for tax reliefs and so forth, to for for developers to produce affordable housing, uh, if you don't look at that agreement closely, it could be something as only little as 15 units of that development. Say it's an apartment complex, only 15 units of that whole development is turned to affordable housing, and and now they get uh, not only tax breaks, but they qualify for uh, the city helps them get HUD funding and so forth. You know, so we need to reevaluate how we're doing that as well. And I think that could be carried out through a lot of, of processing through the Chattanooga Housing Authority. Um, and not just that, but we could look at, um, you know, go, making um, urban campgrounds, have a couple of urban campgrounds uh, as well, because, you know, some of the people who don't have a home um, not necessarily want to live in a home. They probably, you know, there's some people who enjoy having that nomadic type of lifestyle um, too. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if we could approach it differently and make sure that, you know, we're, we're making sound agreements to have true affordable housing units, not selling off stock to companies that claim that that's what they're going to produce and then uh, never produce it and and so forth uh, ha stop having organizations set the price on the market along with the housing authority setting the percentage on the market and we could uh, alleviate some of the, these issues um, I also think that maybe looking into the city investing in uh, a community trust uh, to set up a tiny home establishment uh, sort of like what they have in, I think it's, I like to say Austin, Texas, uh, called the Community Haven, I believe. And it's a tiny home where, you know, they, they actually have to rent it, but it's a transition area. And that, you know, it helps people transition from the streets to getting into their own uh, house to rent or even home to buy. I mean, you know, you can't just expect people, and this is what the city seems to do, you can't just give, expect people to put them in a hotel without having any type of uh, projection for a job and saying, well, here's some funding. This will last you two to three weeks. And then after that, you're SOL, you know, because that's just perpetuating the problem. We need to look at stuff, not perpetuating the problem, but actually addressing it. Uh, uh, with affordable housing. And, and, you know, that plays into the homelessness issue as well, uh, because, you know, we, we have a lot of people who can't afford the prices that they have set on the market. I know when I was a kid, uh, my mom was able to rent a house from anywhere from 450 to $650 for a two bedroom home with two baths. You know, that same place is now $1,200, $1,300. You know, so we have to really reevaluate what's going on because people's cost of living hasn't really changed, but the cost of living has gone up substantially, mm. you know, and, it, and, and they can't blame it on property taxes or anything like that either, because a lot of the, the property taxes in the city has stayed stagnant up until uh, two years ago when they did a lot of reappraisals.
And it seems like that that's what they do. Instead of raising the taxes, they get the assessor's office to come through with the reappraisal and appraise the properties for a lot more than what they should be, and which also price sets the market as well. I've got one one last big question. Um, Chattanooga has been making a name for itself as an outdoor destination. You've been named number one city by Outdoor Magazine twice now. And, you know, that comes with a lot of benefits that we can take advantage of, and it comes with a lot of challenges associated with that growth. So what are your policies that you're proposing to, you know, take advantage of these outdoor resources that we can use to generate income and, and build a name for ourselves, but also how do we manage the growth that comes along with that? Well, I think the city needs to build upon it, you know, um, some of what comes out of uh, outdoor Chattanooga, which is uh, sort of teamed up with the Chattanooga Tourist Company, which used to be called the Chattanooga Visitor Bureau. Um, they're the ones who do a lot of this advertising for the city and advertise the outdoors to international markets. Um, they spend a lot of money on advertising to sort of have this persona that, that we have this number one spot. Um, but when, you know, I think that if we're going to have put out this this persona like we're number one, then we need to reflect that we're number one. We need to start investing in, in our infrastructure, uh, start investing in cleaning up the river as well. There's a lot of microplastics in the river and so forth. Uh, investing in, like I said, making more of a, a, a bike friendly bike path type setup instead of uh, bike, bike uh, lanes on roads and, and downsizing the roads and creating more traffic issues. Um, we need to we need to just build upon it because I mean that's one of the things that makes Chattanooga Chattanooga is the fact that we have the mountain ranges and and the the views that we do, um, and then we have the battlefields as well that you know play on the civil war and that's what they want to focus on is the civil war even if there's other historical things that have happened on those properties uh, their main focus is just the civil war um, right now we have moccasin bend uh, being preserved as a national park uh, as well um, i think there's an outside group that's trying to help promote that even though the ball has already been put in motion because what a lot of people don't realize is uh, the the people who donated that property donated it doing so only if it was turned into a national park they don't they they didn't want it developed out at all and that's why they held on to the property so long and so we need to capitalize on this and invest in it i mean to pull people here from international markets or even out of state and then have them come and see, say well Chattanooga does have a lot of trees and mountain ranges, but getting to those mountain ranges, it's like driving on a old town road. We need to reevaluate that because we, are we trying to give the people the experience of going back in time by having dilapidated streets or should we be setting a, a better example and having people who come here say, well, man, that, that town really maintained. I might think about moving there, you know? <laughs> And, and that, that the city could sell itself eventually instead of having to pay as much as it does in, in for that number one spot. A lot of that comes from uh, paying paid advertisement. And I've got one last kind of more open-ended question. Uh, what is the most achievable change that you think you can make? You know, your, your kind of first 100 days in office idea that you are 100% sure you can accomplish if you take office. Re restructuring the government and making it more accountable and transparent for all, um, making sure it's abiding by policies. And, uh, and when I say policy, I mean, you know, uh, Equal Opportunity Employment Act, uh, ADA policies or American Disability Act policies, uh, Title VI policies or discrimination, you know, non-discriminatory policies and so forth, because we have a lot of issues with, with, with just policy not being followed, which leads to larger issues. I mean, the reason, the whole reason why there's policies in place is so, you know, no matter who's there in that office or whoever's working there, it can still function as a well-oiled machine. Um, we need to look at reevaluating how 
the city is, is working. And, uh, you know, in, nine, in my first 90 days, I can reassure that I can get those things streamlined um, as well as making sure that the city is adopting or um, abiding by the EPA consent decree. Um, I would also look at adopting an anti-corruption act and then look at getting on the ballot too in the future um, a vote to have term limits across the board, not only in city council, but on the boards that we have, the quasi-judicial boards too. Um, because, you know, I think as a city to have new fresh ideas, we need to have an overturn on, mm -hmm. on these boards and in our city council. And a lot of times we've, we've seen in the past people run either unimposed or the races seem like they're set up and already predetermined by either the um, Mountain City Club downtown or other groups that are, are involved um, by choosing who, who they want for office. You know, it's like, to me right now, it's like almost what we're seeing here local is, is a corporate takeover by River City Company to try to get more of a stronger hold on our city so that way, no matter who gets elected, uh, they know that nonprofits are gonna get, continue to get more funding. They know uh, River City Company is gonna get more funding and properties. They know the Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprises as well. And along with that, the developers and people who are coming here who want to build are, are getting away with not meeting or, or keeping up with high standards. And so that concerns me and so that, you know, that's another reason why I ran and I think I can make sure that these things uh, get addressed in my first 90 days or, or you know, three months in office. Mm -hmm. Well, Christopher Dahl, where can voters find out more about you? Uh, people can check out my website to find out more about me at um, electchrisdahl.com. They can also call me at 423-693-4731. But I just warn people when they do call that I, I like to ramble on about politics because, uh, you know, everybody has a hobby. And my hobby is politics and keeping up with what's going on here local. And whether I win or not, um, I've been outspoken in the past, and I'll just continue to be outspoken at our county commission and city council meetings. Um, I don't do it because of, of any type of special agenda. I do it more because I don't want our future generation to keep seeing these same problems that we have reoccurring and the same type of uh, cycles that the city keeps getting stuck in with the discrimination and, and so forth. Uh, you know, I want to see neighborhoods that don't have pockets of poverty like we do. I mean, the, the sad thing is our highest pocket of poverty is in the inner city in Churchville and Bushtown area. And, you know, when your city, to me, when your city is rotten to the core or your core is rotted, then that reflects on, on the rest of the city as a whole. So we need to reevaluate what's really going on here. Um, mm -hmm. We need to stop making tax breaks with companies that do wage discrimination as well. You know, people, we, we hear people talking about uh, they wanting wage equality. Well, you know, the, sort of to me, the city has promoted wage inequality by offering tax breaks and offering other deals like keeping competition out for certain companies who offer wage discrimination. And that, that needs to, you know, stop as well. We might need to even reevaluate some of these agreements that we have made to allow competition to come in. And so that way, if the company doesn't want to offer a competitive wage, maybe a competitor would. Well, great. Again, thank you so much for your time and good luck in March. Appreciate it. And you have a great evening and thanks for hosting this and, and having this platform. Great. Have a good night. You too. Appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com.
Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.